Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 116. We'll begin with a brief summation of Jeremiah chapters 36 through 39 and follow with some thoughts about the price you pay when you play with powerful people. Yirmiyahu's prophecies will all come to pass, but not before a wicked game of broken telephone where Yirmiyahu receives the word of God and instructions to write it down and deliver it to the people at the temple on a public fast day, but then he asks Baruch Ben-Neria to take it all down and do the reading himself because, quote, I am in hiding, I cannot go to the house of the Lord. And we know what the content of that scroll is, the sad fate of Judah because of their sinning, and an option for redemption if they repent, but you know how that's going to go. And when Baruch Ben-Neria does what he's asked on this public fast day at the temple, with all the people there, you know, not eating, it sets off a chain of events, all kinds of intrigue amongst the chattering class, the king's courtiers, who send one of their own to bring Baruch to them to do a private reading, which sets them off into a, into a tizzy and a panic. So they decide to keep the scroll on the down low and further instruct Baruch to disappear and to take Yirmiyahu with him. And they think that they've effectively shut down all word of the scroll and what happened, but the king has ears everywhere too, and he has the scroll brought to him and read aloud and shredded and piece by piece burned in the warming fire. Because he's unfazed. He also orders the arrest of Baruch and Yirmiyahu, but as planned, they are nowhere to be found. So God commissions another scroll with equally dire predictions, and even after Yehoiakim is replaced by Tzidkiyahu, who, if you remember, is supposed to be the more pliable, amenable one to the Babylonians, the scroll about surrender gets no traction, but Zidkiyahu wants Yirmiyahu's goodwill. And when the Egyptians make a move against the Babylonians and the siege of Jerusalem seems to have been lifted, even then, Yirmiyahu has a downer of a message. It won't matter. The Babylonians will return and finish the job, and Jerusalem will burn. This message gets Yirmiyahu arrested and beaten and thrown into a pit. But even then, Zidkiyahu is still querying the prophet, while he's wallowing in the darkness, Yirmiyahu tells the king that he's been wrongly accused of treason and begs to be released from the pit. So the king has Yirmiyahu moved to the prison compound and fed for as long as there's food in the city. But the king's courtiers are not having this, and they orchestrate to have Yirmiyahu thrown back into the pit where the prophet sinks into the mud. But he's not there for long as the king's eunuch, the trusted Eved Melech, the Kushite, bends the king's ear and gets Yirmiyahu released, back to the prison compound, where Tzidkiyahu entreats Yirmiyahu again, but again Yirmiyahu tells the king to listen to God's words and surrender. The king warns Yirmiyahu to keep the content of their conversation to himself, because if word gets out that he's potentially convinced the king to surrender, the courtiers who have pushed for rebellion all along will surely kill him. But this little twist in the action comes to naught, as the Babylonians pierce the walls, Tzitkiyahu escapes through a tunnel with his family and flees toward Jericho, but he's captured and he's, they bring him before Nebuchadnezzar, who has all of Tzitkiyahu's children murdered before him. So that's the last thing he sees before the Babylonians take his eyes and then take him off to Babylon in chains. Oh, damn. As predicted, the Babylonians burn the city, they destroy the temple, they tear down the walls. 
and they take the people from the city into exile. They leave only the poorest behind and, and release Yirmiyahu from prison into the care of Gedalia ben Achikam, who later will become the leader of the enfeebled survivor community. And of course, God tells Yirmiyahu that he's looking out for the eunuch Eved Melech. So I guess it's good for him at least. Here endeth the lesson. This episode's portion deals a lot with palace intrigue, you know, all the goings-on and the, the sniping and backbiting between courtiers and advisors. You know, they're all scheming to keep information from the king and how different kings react to basically the same message. And, you know, the former, you know, Yehoiachin sets the offending scroll on fire strip by strip while the latter, Tzidkiyahu, seems to be moved by the language, but he's, you know, he can't, he's sort of hemmed in by politics and I was tempted to go back to the well and, you know, make tons of references to Game of Thrones here, which is essentially a seven-season-long meditation about palace intrigue and power struggles and, you know, dragons. But I'll resist. In a sense, Megillat Esther is also a story about palace intrigue and power struggles, and we'll get into that sometime in September of 2021. But for now... I want to focus on the goings-on in this episode in light of another seminal work about palace intrigue and power struggles, Black Adder. The British, you know, they do it right. They produce brilliant television in these small doses. They don't need to drag things out or milk a concept until all there's left to do is jump a shark over it. We've embraced that concept today, thankfully, with Prestige TV and the streaming services. Ten episodes a season and you're done. Anywho, Black Adder ran for four seasons on BBC One. 24 episodes in all, plus three specials beginning in 1983 and concluding in 1989. Although each series is set in a different era, all follow the misfortunes of Edmund Blackadder, who is played by Rowan Atkinson, the same guy who later on would play Mr. Bean. Edmund Blackadder is a member of a British family dynasty, struggling and striving to climb the social and political ladder. However, as the generations progress, Blackadder becomes increasingly clever and perceptive, though equally cowardly, cynical, and opportunistic, while at the same time, the family's social status steadily declines. Perhaps the slow erosion of the family's fortunes and their inability to make inroads into the, you know, British political elite is due to Baldrick, Blackadder's bumbling dog's body, and the inevitable obstacle presented by a dim-witted aristocrat. In the first two seasons, set in 1485 and the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, respectively, that roadblock came in the form of Lord Percy Percy. In seasons three and four, set during the Regency and World War I, respectively, it was Prince George, Prince Regent, to His Majesty, and Lieutenant George, who kept Blackadder from getting ahead. Though an alternative history, obviously, Blackadder poked fun at witchcraft, royal succession, European relations, the Crusades, and the conflict between the Church and the Crown. During the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, there is a lot of currying favor and butt-kissing and obnoxious, obsequious behavior. But throughout, Blackadder's tongue lashed everyone in close proximity, so much so that in the list of top 20 put-downs from British television, the top 20 of all time, Blackadder grabbed a fifth of the spots for himself. Here is but two examples. The eyes are open, the mouth moves, but Mr. Brain has long since departed, hasn't he? <laughs> 
It's, it's not the only thing around here that's very small indeed. Your brain, for example, is so minute, Baldrick, that if a hungry cannibal cracked your head open, there wouldn't be enough inside to cover a small water biscuit. In a sense, Yirmiyahu's fate could have been played for laughs as well if the threat against his life wasn't so real. Dictating a scroll for his dog's body to read aloud in the temple on a public fast day, and then having the scroll bandied about, read aloud to this one, sharing it in committee. We must do something about this immediately! 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 Harumph! 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 I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Give the governor harumph! Harumph! You watch your ass. Hidden from this one, only to be revealed to that one, panic, threats, schemes, and counter-schemes. I love it when a plan comes together. Yirmiyahu getting thrown into a pit. Let this be a reminder to you all that this organization will not tolerate failure. <laughs> Gentlemen, let's get down to business. We've got a lot of work to do. Some of you I know, some of you I'm meeting for the first time. Uh-huh. Hello, sir. Anyone? Could someone call an ambulance? I get quite a lot of pain. Okay. You've all been gathered here to form oh. my evil cabinet. Excuse me. Okay, it wasn't a pit of fire, but the second time it was very muddy. And he sank into the mud. And he probably couldn't sit down either because, uh, you know, get his clothes dirty. And I don't want to minimize the fear and terror. Yirmiyahu was definitely afraid for his life. Bring out your dead. Here's one. Ninepence. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. They've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. You think I'll go for a walk? You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look, isn't there something you can do? I feel happy. I feel happy. Ah, oh, thanks very much. Touch off. But in the end, all the good guys got away clean. Yirmiyahu was freed from the pit. Eved Melech gets a nod from God, and all the bad guys, all those guys that yelled and beat and uh, you know had tried to get Yirmiyahu arrested and put to death, the folks that threw him in the pit, they got theirs, and even the king got his in a pretty grotesque manner. <coughs> Nevertheless, one doesn't have to be Cersei Lannister to figure out that it's never good to get involved in these kinds of intrigues in the first place. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win, or you die. Which is perhaps why every prophet who God calls upon to go and deliver the bad news to whomever, king or pharaoh or whatever, never wants to do it. And when they do it, because God kind of forces them to do it, they inevitably have a rough go of it. They get abused, mocked, smacked around, abused some more. And that's just in this episode. But cheer up, we're almost done with the book of Jeremiah, the worst is past, and pretty soon Yirmiyahu will find peace in a land of melons and leeks and onions and garlic. And I'm not referring to Olive Garden.
If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 117 when we continue the book of Jeremiah with chapters 40 through 43.